Before beginning my reflection on today's scripture readings, I'd like to once again mention uh, that we are celebrating Pro-Life Sunday today in anticipation of the Pro-Life month, month of October. And I'm deeply grateful to the leadership of the pro-life community here in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia for not only organizing our Mass tonight, but also for the wonderful work that they do. I'd like to express my gratitude to Steve Boza, who is the head of the pro-life office of the Archdiocese. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Dr. Monique, you gave a beautiful talk at the beginning of Mass. I hope everyone heard you and let us sing deeply into their hearts. Uh, before Mass began, for an hour before Mass began, the Sisters of Life, who are present here in the second row, um, led a beautiful holy hour. They sing like angels. Uh, really good angels, too. So we're, <laughs> we're deeply grateful for your presence here in the Archdiocese and also for your leadership in pro-life activities. Um, also, uh, today we have junior members, I guess you could call them, of the Catholic Medical Association who are with us. I'd like you to stand, please, all of you, whether you're wearing your white jackets or not. Uh, they're, they're going to become doctors in the service of uh, people, of course, but in the service of life. And that's difficult today. So we're very, very grateful and we want to support them. So we're glad to have you here. Thank you very, very much. Now I'm going to be visit, visiting with them after Mass, so I won't go to the usual place at the back of the church to greet you. I hope you understand, it's because I'm going to be having a meeting with these extraordinary young women and men. So we wanna be committed to life in our words and our actions. We wanna support those who have a more public role in doing that. We wanna also participate in the 40 days for life by prayer and fasting and by community outreach. Uh, we have to take this seriously so that we can continue to move our country in a better direction. I think it's going that way and we need to be active in supporting that direction. So thank you very much. So now we turn to today's uh, scripture readings. You know, those of us who are preachers uh, don't come up with our ideas on our own. Uh, we do some, of course, but many of the ideas we have come from what are referred to as homily helps. Uh, magazines that come out every month about the scripture readings, uh, which are supposed to help uh, preachers to do a better job in their preaching. Now, I think some people actually just read what they get when they get into the pulpit on Sunday, um, but I never do that. Um, but one of the, the documents that, that I, one of the sources that I go to every week is a resource called Pulpit Resources by a Methodist minister whose name is Will Willimon. And as part of his material that he sends to preachers, Protestant and Catholics, uh, there's always a prayer, which I suspect he uses himself in his church on that Sunday. Now, I don't use those prayers ordinarily, but I thought the one for today was very interesting. So I'm going to begin uh, my reflections by reading this Protestant prayer. I'm just joking when I say Protestant prayer. You know, it's a, it's a Christian prayer, so it's a prayer that Catholics can also pray. 
But listen to the prayer that he composed on this uh, 26th Sunday of Ordinary Time. This is what it says. Lord, we would like to be in church today focusing on spiritual matters rather than on material things. We would prefer dreamily to peer into eternity rather than to take a sober look at the way we live our lives right now, particularly to look at the way we spend our money. Yet, you, Lord, are not content with what we imagine to be spiritual lives. You want it all. You do not rest content until you have all of us, including our money. Amen. <laughs> it's obvious if you were paying attention that today's uh, scripture readings, the first one and the gospel are about money and the use of money. So let's look at those readings and then look at our personal lives. The first reading is from the book of Amos, who was a prophet in the eighth century before Christ to the people of Judah. There were two Jewish kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and what was referred to as the Northern Kingdom. And apparently in the eighth century before Christ, the people living in the kingdom of Judah were quite, quite prosperous. And in the Northern Kingdom, which was just right next door, there was suffering because they had been invaded by foreign powers and they were being conquered. And so into the life of these comfortable people in Jerusalem and Judah, God sent the prophet Amos, who said these words, Thus says the Lord, Woe to the complacent in Zion, lying on beds of ivory, stretched comfortably on their couches. They eat lamb and calves, improvising to the music of the harp. They drink wine from bowls rather than glasses and cups, anointing themselves with the best oils. That's perfume. Yet, they are not made ill by the collapse of Joseph, which was the kingdom to the north. Thus, they shall be the first to go into exile. So God is criticizing these people um, who were supposed to be faithful Jews for what? Not for their wealth, but for their complacency in the face of the suffering of their neighbors. Uh, their money had somehow inoculated them from seeing their neighbors' pains. You know, they were comfortable on their beds of ivory, expensive material. They um, ate not the ordinary food of ordinary people. They ate lamb and they ate meat, uh, beef every day. They drank wine from big bowls rather than from small cups, as he says, and they used the best of oil and didn't see the suffering of their neighbor.
So there's something about wealth that is dangerous that gave, led God to tell them that they were going to be the first to be taken into exile, the Babylonian exile eventually. So that reading is sent to us by the church today to get us to, to be thinking about today's gospel reading, which I'm sure you paid close attention to because it is very interesting. It's one of those gospel parables that Jesus tells that's full of details that we find um, captivating. One of the things that's interesting is that the, the, the reading that's given to us from the Gospel of Luke, beginning with chapter 19, misses a verse just above that on, in the Bible that I think sets the tone for this reading. And these are the words just above this particular passage. It says, the Pharisees, being lovers of money, sneered at Jesus. They were making faces at him because of what he was saying. And in the face of that sneering, Jesus tells this parable, this story. There was a rich man who dressed like a king. You know, dress in purple meant you were part of the royal household. He dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously every day. That's a nice word, isn't it? it it's one of those words that sounds like what it's supposed to represent sumptuous. You know, it sounds like um, something truly decadent, I guess. And laying at his door, you know, we're supposed to imagine the house, and somewhere near the, the doorway was a poor man whose name was Lazarus. He was covered with sores. He might have been a leper who would have gladly eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. And dogs even came up and licked his sores. You know, dogs were not the kind of uh, animals that we think about when we talk about dogs today. They were outdoor animals. They were kind of wild dogs. And to, be, to have your sores licked by a dog was not a sign of the dog's affection. It meant the dog was getting ready to eat you if he had a chance. Now this was a man who was in terrible suffering. He was right at the, man's, the rich man's door and he wasn't given anything, not even the scraps that fell from the rich man's table because the rich man did not notice him. You know, it, it, again, we have to keep in mind that wealth is never really actually condemned in the Bible. It's mentioned a lot of times. It's considered a source of great danger, but it's not condemned in itself. It's what's condemned is the way we respond to wealth and the neg negative things that it can do to us and because of that, what it does to others. So eventually, the story goes on, the, the poor man died, and he came to rest in the, at the bosom of Abraham. We're supposed to imagine Abraham sitting at table. Remember the Last Supper? St. John, the beloved disciple, sat next to Jesus and rested his head on Jesus' bosom. So this is a, a symbol of being very close to the father of the Jews, to Abraham, okay? So this man who had nothing, who suffered a great deal, went to heaven. 
And the rich man went to hell. And from his place in hell, he noticed Abraham along with Lazarus in heaven, and he made three requests. The first request was that Lazarus serve him. <laughs> he, didn't, he never served Lazarus, but he wanted Lazarus to dip his finger in water and bring it to him and touch his tongue because he was suffering so very, very much. You can see that this rich man doesn't get it at all. You know, even in his suffering, he thinks that other people are for his benefit. And in response, Abraham says, well, you can't do that because there's a vast chasm that exists between our side and your side and people can't cross it. I'll get around to talking about that in just a bit. And so he says, well, then send him to him, send him. Again, he's giving orders to Lazarus, Lazarus to do something for him. Well, send him to my father's home because I have five brothers who are just like me and I don't want them to end up in the same place I am. And Abraham says, well, um, can't do that, but they have the, the law and the prophets to teach them what to do. They have the, they have the, the Old Testament Bibles, what he's talking about. And the rich man just wasn't satisfied with that. So he said, no, that won't work. It won't work. It didn't work for me and it won't work for them. Why don't you send Lazarus? Because if they see somebody raised from the dead, that might change their hearts and their minds and their lives. And Abraham says, well, if they don't pay attention to the Bible, they won't believe anything even if somebody rises from the dead. And we know Jesus is referring to himself. You know that uh, he rose from the dead and people didn't pay any more attention to him than they paid to the Bible. So that's the great story that Jesus tells in today's gospel. So I have uh, four points that I'd like to use as practical applications to our lives today. And then talk a little bit about how these apply to the pro-life issues that we're facing in our time. Point number one, I've said this twice, I'll say it a third time, riches in themselves are not evil. In fact, they are a blessing. You know, to have enough food and money to take care of your family and to have a life that is not insecure and treacherous and dangerous is a blessing. So we can't say that money is the problem. The problem is us and our sinfulness, which leads us to focus on ourselves and then see money as something that we possess simply for ourselves and for our comfort. It can cause us to be blind to God, but also to our neighbors. You know, the, the people who pray generally are people who are aware that they need God, that they're dependent on God. And one of the dangers of money, having lots of money, is that you don't think you need God because you have it all yourself. You're safe and secure. And that causes you to be blind about your relationship with God. I think it's very true. We don't reflect on this very often, but it's, it's really very, very true. 
And one of the things that I know, because I know a lot of very wealthy people, is that very wealthy people like to hang out with very wealthy people. Partly because they're embarrassed that they have so much, and if they're with poor people, it makes them aware of how much they have, and it makes them uncomfortable. So they like to hang out with people who have the same kind of things so they're not self-conscious about their wealth. And guess again, that's not bad in itself, but it leads to having a very narrow circle of friends and acquaintances, and it can blind you to the needs of others. I mean, oftentimes, very wealthy people are very, very generous, by the way, because they've made space in their life for the poor. They're the ones that make a difference. But most very wealthy people are not that way. If they give, they give from their surplus rather than from their substance. And uh, that leads them to that blindness. So that's one of the dangers of wealth. It can also lead to dishonesty. You know, it's really true that once you have one million dollars, it's nice to have two, and then you want to have three, and then you want to be as rich as your neighbor, then you want to be richer than your neighbor, you want to be the richest person in the world, because it makes you famous, and you feel good about that, and that can lead to dishonesty. So having lots of money leads to more temptations to dishonesty, actually, than being poor. Generally, we think the poor are the ones who are dishonest, or the ones who steal and rob, they just get caught when they steal and rob. And having wealth can lead you to dishonesty. And of course, what today's gospel is telling us, that the third danger of having a lot of money is indifference. You're indifferent to the sufferings of others because you're not suffering. Uh, Eli, Eli Wiesel, a famous Jewish person who survived the Holocaust said this, he said, the opposite of love is not hate. We generally think that is the opposite of love. The opposite of love is not hate, but indifference, which means you don't care. And that really is the opposite of love. Love is caring. If you hate somebody, you kind of care about them in a negative way. But to be indifferent means that the existence of the other person doesn't make any difference at all to you. And it's obvious from the story that Jesus tells that one of the dangers of being wealthy is being indifferent to the sufferings of others. So that's the first point. I have two more, three more, but they're shorter. Point number two, sins of omission can be serious sins. Most of us are concerned about our sins of commission. We commit this sin. I'm sorry for the sins I committed. We all say that. But I don't think, you know, I hear confessions pretty regularly almost every Sunday here and many other places, and it's seldom that anybody commits, uh, confesses a sin of omission. But the sin of the rich man in today's gospel was clearly just a sin of omission. He omitted caring for someone he had responsibility for. And you and I, my dear friends, have responsibility for the poor. And if we don't do anything about that, we commit a serious sin of omission. So when we next examine our conscience, we next go to confession, which is every month, right? You go to confession every month, everybody's smiling, either because they do or they don't. <laughs> well, you ought to also sit around thinking about 
What should I have done that I haven't done, especially when it comes to caring for the poor? The third point, the rich, the wealthy, have responsibility that comes with being wealthy. I, I don't know everybody here, and I imagine there may be one or the other person here who is actually poor, but generally Americans are very wealthy, especially when you compare us with the rest of the world. Even our poorest people are wealthy compared to uh, so many people in the world. So I think everybody here has responsibility because they're wealthy. That means we have to use our money for good things and not just for our comfort, our complacency, right? Money's not about us. It's about God's gift to us that we are called to use responsibly in the service of the community and other people. So are you responsible with your money? I don't mean just are you saving it appropriately for your retirement, that's important, but are you using it day to day in responsible ways in the service of others as well as your own family? And then the fourth and final point um, is really important. We don't preach about this nearly enough in the church today, but it's clear from what Jesus says about Lazarus and the rich man and the barrier that exists between one and the other, it's very clear from what Jesus says in today's gospel that life after death is tied to our life before death. Life after death, we call it eternity, is tied to our life before death. And we're going to we either make our heaven or our hell by the way we live our lives now. And when we die, we're fixed. You know, if you, if you live a life of selfishness, you die as a selfish woman or a selfish man, which makes you incapable of receiving the love of God because you're only occupied with thinking about yourself. So this life makes a difference. We're going to be judged as a rich man was judged, and as a poor man was judged. By the way, uh, it's important for those of you who might really be poor, not to think you have it made because you're poor and all poor people go to heaven like Lazarus in today's gospel reading. That isn't true, because poor people can also be guilty of the sins of the wealthy, right? Of being indifferent towards other people and caring only about themselves. Hell is a real possibility for us. I mean, really, I remember giving a talk to the, um, who was it, uh, Catholic Charities USA when they had a big gathering in Denver when I was a bishop there. And uh, I began my, my reflections telling them, it was about this reading, I began by telling them that, that there was danger of going to hell. And they all thought that was very funny. But it's true. <laughs> Jesus is telling us that if we don't care for the poor, we're going to go to hell. There's no doubt about it. He says that very clearly in today's gospel. If you don't care for the poor, you, not the church in an, or as an organization, but each one of us here has a responsibility to care for the poor or we're going to go to hell. 
So you better take it seriously, right? Jesus makes it so clear. As, um, as Dr. Willimon prayed in that opening prayer that I, I gave for you, God wants everything from us, even our money. We ask the Lord to give us the generous hearts to give him everything. Amen. Oh, I wanted to talk about pro-life. I got preoccupied with myself and my thoughts here. So uh, I think that the way I would apply this to the pro-life issues is that one of the great sins of many Catholics is we commit the sin of omission regarding the sin of abortion. We don't, um, of course, most of us don't become involved in abortion ourselves, but we don't do anything about it happening in our country. And that's a sin of omission. You know? We don't all have to be out um, praying in front of abortion clinics, although more of us should be there. And all of us should be there at least once, I think, to have an experience of what it's like. But we have to care about this issue. And we can't leave it up to other people. And the reason why every year for the month of October we spend time thinking about the abortion issue is because the church wants us, each one of us, all of us together, to become aware of our responsibilities. So we ask the Lord to help us do that this month and to avoid that sin of omission. Uh, just as the wealthy are responsible for their money, we're responsible for the lives of other people, which is more valuable than money, right? And that's why we become involved in the abortion issue, not to condemn anyone, but in order to save the lives of innocent unborn children. And if we don't become involved in some kind of way, uh, that's going to happen more and more. And so we have to take, take our responsibility. And our eternal life depends on how we get involved in important issues like that. So let's take care of our money. Let's take care of the lives of others. Amen.